Hello, and welcome to Movies We Dig, the podcast about film, antiquity, and everything in between. I'm Elijah Fleming. I'm Christy Vogler. And I'm Colin McCormick. And today we're discussing Centurion, a 2010 historical action film written and directed by Neil Marshall, starring Michael Fassbender, Olga Kurilenko, and Dominic West, uh, who really isn't in the movie that much, actually, Dominic West. I wonder how expensive Dominic West was at this time. Uh, I think we were all very, maybe just felt exhausted sort of going in to talk about this because, wow, I haven't gotten to hate on something in quite a long time. And I have a lot of feelings, you guys. We've had this one on the docket for like a year at least, and it just keeps getting put off slash forgotten about. Now we finally came around to it because we basically were yeah. filling up the schedule. And we're like, let's just plug Centurion in. Well, I mean, it was also forgotten by, I think, the world at large. Because... Yeah, this movie, like, categorically does not exist. No, no, no. Nobody, remember- and nobody remembers it. Much like The Last Legion, it just, like, doesn't, doesn't exist. And for very good reason. Um, so I will say, I did not dig this movie, and I think I'm angrier about it than most movies I don't dig because there were some aspects to this that I thought could have been really fun. And I'm upset that they were in this travesty. So what do you guys think? Did you guys dig Centurion? No, no, no. I did not dig it. I watched the preview and Lash's background today is the scene of all of them circled with their shields waiting for balls of fire to roll downhill at them and hit them like bowling pins. And I like saw that scene, it's like, I know I complain about fire arrows a lot, but they just took it to a new level here, and it's not pretty. And Andy was watching with me, and he was yelling at the whole time, which made me feel better about the experience. But um, I also have one particular scene where I'm like, it could have ended there, and the plot would have, it would have worked, and it keeps going. <laughs> I don't know what your problem is because I freaking love this movie. Uh, best movie, 10 out of 10, brought me to tears. Get out. I am, in fact, being sarcastic. I, I did not dig this movie, and I, I wrote down my sort of three theses for this movie of what my sort of final reaction, which is, one, this movie is the common denominator of six decades worth of sword and sandal films. Two, uh, this movie is... Well, this is kind of the same as actually number one. It's a poor imitation of many other movies before it. And three, this movie is obsessed with dicks and piss to an almost Freudian. Oh my God, level. yes. There are like four separate scenes where somebody takes it out and starts urinating. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's like literally the first shot of the movie is a guy peeing off the wall and then he gets stabbed in the crotch by a picked. I, I did have to add, there were so many scenes in this film, and this technically came out right before Game of Thrones, but the peeing off of the wall, the being buried under a bunch of human bodies and then having the hand shoot out. I'm like, mm-hmm. did, did someone watch this from Game of Thrones? And you do have Davos. And- yep, yep. <laughs> I wrote down that Liam Cunningham, is he's been doing Davos for like a decade, yeah. and then this was just like a warm-up to the Davos until finally like the perfect role for him yep. comes around. <laughs> so like there was very Game of Thrones-ish things going through my mind. And like I read the description, was the very first thing I did before even watching the preview, And like some of it was, some of the wording was like, all right, you have these few surviving members and they're being slowly picked off one by one. And I asked Elijah, it's like, is this a horror film? Like this has like horror film connotations. And she's like, no, it might've been better had they gone with that, like really leaned into it because they definitely use some of those horror film tropes as part of this. And Neil Marshall is a horror director. He did The Descent, which is a good horror film. He also did the most recent Hellboy, which is less so. Less so. I. But but yeah. I, sorry. Eli, no no no. It. You were still you were on a roll. Oh well, I was going to say probably for the benefit of our listeners who I suspect either haven't seen this movie, have seen the movie and forgotten it, and or will probably never see it. We probably owe them like just I'll give like a brief sort of description of the movie. Is this this is another movie about the Ninth Legion, which I think this is the <laughs> third. Yep movie featuring the ninth legion that we've covered on this show this is the second or the first of two that are going to come out in the same year the other one being the eagle and so it's about a sort of roman centurion who ends up north of the wall the ninth legion is destroyed or the wall doesn't exist yet but he ends up in northern britain 
the Legion is destroyed, and then Michael Fassbender, our Roman centurion, and the few surviving members of the Roman army are basically trying to get back to Roman Britain, which in that sense also makes this movie a play on the warriors. Yes, that's the part I think that... Oh, it's my list of things that upsets me about this, but I think there are so many tropes that this sort of hits on, um, including the warriors or like Anabasis sort of behind enemy lines kind of thing, which I think could be a great movie mm-hmm. in itself. Like that's a cool idea. But there's also the whole like this, the scene behind me is basically like Tudorboro Forest, right? Like that's what yeah. they were mm-hmm. trying to sort of evoke here, which is a completely different war a completely different battle a completely different like time frame and with different ramifications and so it's like that could have been a cool movie and i think is probably that's barbarians on netflix now right yeah when when the roman three roman legions march into the german forest and they they get chewed up yeah they get chewed Mm -hmm. up which could have been a i don't know we haven't watched barbarians maybe it's an interesting story um but there's also like the I don't know the the beginning they go get their commander right like they go rescue Dominic West so it like starts off as like this rescue mission which I think could have been a whole other movie right even before that mm-hmm. there's like two movies before that this yep. movie the first like half of this movie is four movies yes. because the first bit is Michael Fassbender gets captured by Pix that didn't need to happen <laughs> and they're torturing him and then he escapes and then while this is happening, the Ninth Legion is basically they're they're making a big push to I guess like quell the Pictish rebellion or whatever it is or the you know put an end to their war with the Picts. So they're making a big play into the forest. And then so he escapes capture, reunites with the Legion. The Legion is promptly destroyed, and then they try to go rescue the captured general Dominic West. And then they get there, and then Dominic West is like, "What's left of the Legion is yours," which is great. Like it. <laughs> It's about six men. Uh, and then then the rest of the, the main movie, like the actual movie, which we don't even really get to until like 30, 40 minutes in. More than that, Is yeah. them trying to get back, which also they don't do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's I feel like they tried to make it too complicated. Mm-hmm. I don't think we needed the first 20 minutes of Michael Fassbender being hunted and tortured. That doesn't explain why he speaks Pictish, right? Like he seemed to know it beforehand. Is that ever explained? Nope. It does explain why he's shirtless though, so Sure. He Fine. He does he says something to the effect of like know your enemy. And so the idea is I guess he learned Pictish to like, you know, Sun Tzu like get into the mind of his enemy or whatever, but Okay, fine. It worked. But there was no there was no reason for that like first twenty minutes. The well, I would say the reason that he speaks Pictish or whatever is because Michael Fassbender in real life speaks Irish, and so I think they just wanted to take advantage fine. of that. <laughs> fine, fine. But I, I just, I feel like they made the entire thing too complicated because the beginning doesn't really explain anything about any characters or give us more information or set anything up. The rescue mission fails and they don't gain anything and what they sort of do on the side is kill that Pictish kid and then like that's sort of uh, the manufactured reason that they're being hunted. It's like they would be hunted Mm -hmm. anyway, right? So like Mm -hmm. why... Why did we? Well, now it's like it's extra. Like they have like a blood vendetta against them because the 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 one one of the soldiers, you know, all of the the, the different soldiers that survive all have like a personality, which is like one's a cook, one's good at running, one's old, and one's big, and one is a jackass. And the jackass guy, uh, he murders a kid. But I feel like we don't we don't know that he's the jackass yet. I don't know when he murders the kid. It sort of seemed like that's what he was doing to survive. Yeah, mm-hmm. it did. It did like foreshadow how the rest of his arc was going to go, though. For true, sure, true, true. <laughs> more, more, more so. Not that he killed the kid, but like when he caught up with the rest of the group, he's like, "I got a helmet, and I had to take care of some other business." But uh, don't worry about it; it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yes. I'm just like, furious at all parts of it. <laughs> we, before we get into sort of more of that, maybe should we talk? I mean, we've talked about this before, but do we have anything extra we want to add about? The Ninth Legion, this idea of that there used to be a legion stationed in Northern Britain, the Ninth Legion, and it basically drops off the records, which led to theories and speculations that it was destroyed by 
Celtic peoples north of the wall, although there is evidence that the Legion actually was just stationed in Germany after when it was supposedly destroyed. And, and so whatever, why this Legion basically kind of falls off the records is not really known. Isn't it just a, another conspiracy theory, basically, that a bunch of... Yeah, but at least this one was started by Theodore Momsen. So it's like a, it's a uh, it's a conspiracy theory with some pedigree. Uh, Theodore Momsen being a very very famous 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 German German classicist. Well, and that's what they're trying to really wrap up with, like the justification of killing Michael Fassbender at the at the end is just first of all, if this guy told his story, who's gonna believe him? And how is it gonna cause a panic in Rome? To like, oh no, we shouldn't engage in warfare anymore. Uh huh. Sure. That, that <laughs> yeah. That, to jump to the end of the movie, basically, Fassbender is the only one who makes it back to Agricola, the Roman governor, who actually, by this point in history, is has been dead for like twenty years. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like again, if you're gonna use a date, like use a use a real date. Well, the, the, the dates are doubly wrong. So the opening crawl of like the text, which is oh, one a ripoff of Gladiator, like almost <laughs> like word for word, like it was like that trope of like copy my homework, but don't make it look like you copied my homework. Mm-hmm. And it was like that. So they took the opening crawl from Gladiator, and the date they give in the opening crawl is uh, one seventeen which is when Hadrian comes to power. But Agricola, who's the governor of Britain in this movie, in real life, stopped being governor in like 90 AD and died like three years later. And Hadrian didn't start building the wall until 122. And you see the sort of beginning constructions of the wall at the very end of this movie. I mean, that or maybe they they took them five years to get home. I I don't know. I I will say, like, there's so many feelings, but I kind of liked that we get to the end and Fassbender is looking at the walls like, that's Hadrian's plan. (laughs) And I'm like, that's kind of my feeling of this whole movie at this point. (laughs) It's like, that was what we came to. Okay, I'm done. (laughs) Right. Yeah, what's the... What's the, is there a triumph in this movie or like the, the hero, it's so, and they kind of, this is a, this is my general consensus about this movie is that it introduces ideas that it goes nowhere with. Cause at one point they say something to the effect of like, you're telling me we fought for nothing. Yeah. And then at yeah. the end it's kind of like, yeah, bro. Yeah. Which is the same kind of conversation that King Arthur had, mm-hmm. but like more effectively, just like, no, it, it's not just for like this idea of Rome, but like we've actually built a community here. So right. we need to yes. protect that. Yeah. This movie has like the nihilist answer, which is like, no, it, nothing matters. It, it was all nothing. dumb. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's the thing about this movie is like none of this had to happen. All of it was kind of a pointless exercise. Yeah. Had they just started walking home the minute they survived the battle, like they would have been better off for yeah. it. Yes, 100%. <laughs> okay, so there was a moment that was like, it could end here. And it would work for like what they're trying mm-hmm. to get across. And it's when they get to Ariane, the witches, the necromancer's house. And like Davos, I'm going to get his name, uh, Brick. Brick is like, these are the death cap mushrooms. And they're like, nah, man, no, why would she save us just to kill us now? And I'm like, her character is she specifically scares the shit out of other people. So they leave her the F alone. And so it's like, I really want it to actually be the mushrooms and they just die right there and just have it be over. (laughs) (laughs) That's not where I thought you were going to try to end the movie. That's where I wanted it to end. It's like, they got it wrong. It was the death cap mushrooms. It is over. I don't get a stupid romantic kiss at the end, which is complete bullshit. It was so stupid. So stupid. I thought you were going to say that the movie could have ended right when they get to the wall and they're like, all right we're home and then but we have like another 15 minutes of one uh what's his name david morrissey's character gets shot by his own side because yep. he thinks he's a, a picked or something and that fax the jj field character basically like i don't know plays his villain card at the end it's like oh yeah by the way i'm also the secondary villain in this movie uh and so that gets taken care of and so fassbender is the only one who makes it back alive and then agricola is like yeah we should kill him so the story <laughs> never gets out <laughs> Or or Agricola and I guess his daughter Drusilla, this actress that comes in in the last like fifteen minutes, right. not even, like the last five minutes, mm-hmm. and what? so then there's like a final. So then he escapes from that situation, and then he goes back to his girlfriend in the woods, um, played by Imogen Poots. And what a, like he's literally dying, and the the reaction is now I will kiss you. You've come back to me. I had a thought about this. My head canon is that they actually did hook up while he was staying there the first time. We just don't see it, but they 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 
They totally hooked up. And now he's coming back. That's sort of my theory. That's my theory. That's not how Hollywood works. You, you have like the only reason he goes back. The only reason like they tried to kill him is like he has to get the girl. That is how these movies work. He has to get the girl. So we know he's the viral man hero figure. Mm-hmm. I will enter into consideration for the jury, though. I think a great it's not supported by overtly in the text, but I think a very, very good reading of in The Empire Strikes Back. A reading that I really, really like and I sort of take as my own reading is that Han and Leia have actually already hooked up before the beginning of Empire Strikes Back, which explains why they're so weird to each other Oh yeah, through the whole movie. Oh, yeah. Which, I mean, again, is not supported sort of with anything explicitly, but I think like if you go in with that information, it like adds a layer of meaning it makes onto sense. the way those two characters. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is the only way, I mean, again, I'm like doing this movie's work for it, but like <laughs> if they had already, if Michael Fassbender and Imogen Pooch had already hooked up before he comes back, like, all right, that makes a little bit more sense. Sure. But this is a movie that did not need a weird romance. Well, and subplot. she is introduced in the last like 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It feels, again, like one of those, like, oh, we need a love interest character. So, like, to hit, like, women age 18 to 35 demographic or something. Well, because, I don't think it's I mean, for already, women, though. I'm pretty no, sure it's still I don't men. think it is either. Because I feel like the, like, I don't know. The, like, what is her name? Etienne? Yeah. Yeah, Etienne. Etienne. I feel like I kept forgetting how they say it every time. Like, she was... Like, could have been, I feel like, a really interesting and awesome villain who's, like, Mm -hmm. rightfully wronged and has all of these reasons to hate these men and, like, is going after them. But she doesn't do anything. She can't even talk. (laughs) Well, like... Her story has to be explained by by a dude to the other dude. Yep. And I just... Ah! It was... So furious. My note for uh, Etain was shitty Magua, where she is very, she is one hundred percent a Magua figure. Yes. Like in Last of Mohicans, where she like she's infiltrated the British slash Roman state apparatus. They think she's an allied uh, native scout or something, but she's actually uh, a traitor, and she's setting and she's leading them into a trap. It's a trap. They literally said it. I know. <laughs> Well, I'm going to get to the, I want to get to, I should have made a running list of lines this movie rips off from other movies, but the, you know, Magua at least gets to like, you know, he gets a whole bit where he explains to the French general, like why I hate the gray hair. Yeah. Yeah. And we get to learn it, but also part of the Magua journey is like at the end of Last of the Mohicans, the Huron chief explains to Magua why your hatred is bad and you're poisoning everyone around you. It attains like a, a one dimensional Magua. Exactly. Yeah. I think she could have been really interesting because like she obviously has this this motivation and we sort of understand where she's coming from, but she doesn't, yeah, she doesn't get that other dimension. She doesn't have, she also doesn't actually like catch them really. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't actively, I feel like they themselves over so much more than she actually kills them. So it's like she doesn't really get her righteous revenge or anything. So it's just it's so unfulfilling. This leads me to a question, basically, that I think, because I thought I had was like, really, Etain kind of should have been the hero of this movie. Absolutely. Uh, and which leads me to the main question, which is like, what does this movie want us to think about Rome? Because the Romans, like, really, they like, they are not very endearing. And nobody is endearing in this movie, but the Romans especially so. I think that's actually like what could have been an interesting take on a Ninth Legion story because so much of the Ninth Legion mythos is framing them as heroes and like or you know the the underdogs who succeed or the they're the main characters right like that's what they sort of Mm-hmm. they take up that sort of space and this movie doesn't you know doesn't paint them in a very good light but it also doesn't i don't know they all die they're like nobody's the hero right like i don't like michael fassbender like i'm not rooting for anybody except mm-hmm. maybe riz Ahmed and his cleaver yeah um, <laughs> like seriously <laughs> i wanted the chef to make it because like oh my god so like yeah i they have all these like band of brothers moments where they have all this humanity that comes out 
among the Romans, but there's sort of none of that humanity coming out in the native Britons or the Picts or anybody. And that's, but that's sort of what you were supposed to feel from Etain, right? Is like she was, like her country was invaded, she was violated, she has all of this righteous anger, but we see no humanity from her. Yeah. I mean, the the villain, so to speak, in this movie, which is also, I got to just comment, Gorlikon, what the hell kind of a name is that? <laughs> Gorlikon is the name where we're playing Dungeons and Dragons and I'm the dungeon master and someone goes, what's the name of the uh, uh, goblin barkeep? I'm like, uh, Gorlikon? Yeah, let's go with that. That's a vaguely fantasy name. <laughs> Because I looked, I tried to find like if Gorlikon was actually like a historically attested name, and I am, I did not find anything. But someone correct me if I'm I, wrong. They but. give like a very brief backstory of like setting him up as the big bad of like uh, he he was just a farmer, and then the Romans did something, and now he's this soldier, and mm-hmm. you're like, okay. yeah, he also disappears from the movie yeah. at, at the halfway mark. Um, and again, well, like, he is, I would say, well within his rights where the Romans invaded his country and then he defeated their army and then they murdered his son and then he sent people to go catch the murderers. Yeah. And I was, I, that's, it never really resolves for Gorlikon. I was just Gorlikon. thinking it's like they're both these powerful <laughs> men on op- opposing sides that are like, you know, high players and yet they keep sending women <laughs> to go to like, what is happening? Incredible. Again, where I think like where I'm going to keep coming back to this because I think Last of the Mohicans is like really like a gold standard for like a historical drama. Yes. In just terms of the way you've like it's put you in the setting. The in the Last Mohicans, like the French and British are not necessarily good or bad. Same with the Mohawks and the Hurons and all the uh, North American tribes. Like no one's really good or bad. There's just like these politics that are all playing out for various reasons. Then our heroes are like in this setting. And we understand sort of why people are behaving the way they are. And like, this is like basically like a dumber version of that. And in and, and, and so many ways, and even the the sort of, I'll call it the, Eli was alluding to, the Battle of the Tudorburg Forest mm-hmm. ripoff that this movie has is kind of this very similar to that battle in Last of the Mohicans where the, the British army gets slaughtered yep. as they leave the fort. Mm-hmm. I think what I wanted this movie to focus on was the band of brothers like the mm-hmm. the sort of the scragglers after this terrible thing happened and i i do think that everything before the battle could have been cut <laughs> and like fine say we want to have a tudorburg-esque battle and say that there are like these people who have survived i liked that we had a bunch of different types of soldiers like yeah. there's the Greek soldier, there's you said like there's the old guy, there's the young guy, there's a black soldier, there's the cook who like is just trying to like, you know, keep his shit mm-hmm. together. Um, there's so many people that move with the army that if an entire army is destroyed, you're going to have a lot of like ripple effects and ramifications for a lot of people who aren't soldiers. Mm-hmm. So I kind of liked that concept of these people trying to survive behind enemy lines, which is a warrior's story. It's That's the Anabasis, right? And mm-hmm. I think that could have been a fun, a fun movie. Yeah, I was, you know, with the CGI blood splatter in the first few minutes of Ugh. just the, wh- wherever Michael Fassbender was and people getting a blood, in the first crotch shot, literally. The guy getting stabbed yeah. in the crotch. <laughs> and <laughs> like, I watched that, I was like, I'm going to hate this so much. And like, I hate, and like, when they're having in the camp um, with the ninth, where they're like having arm wrestling contest, and then it turns into like best two out of three slash I'm gonna kill you sort of a thing, and it's like this is so ridiculous. And then it, but that made me pause and think for a minute, like back when we had that conversation with Kiara about the cartoonish depiction of just Roman violence as a militant group, and it's like, do I hate this because? It seems a caricature of the violence, and yet this is really what the culture of martial societies is like and is in no way redeemable. There are no heroes, and that's why we don't like it. And then did they, I don't think it was intentionally done, but they effectively did that. This is my great sort of lament, I guess. My great lament about a lot of sword and sandal films, particularly of this era, which is they're trying to recapture they're trying to recapture Gladiator and then to a lesser extent, and also not even to a lesser extent, and also 300, which is why I think this movie looks the way it looks with Correct. the CGI blood spatter and the very kind of 
overproduced kind of like desaturated color scheme like this movie is gray gray it's it's practically in black and white mm-hmm. yeah there's so little color and but my sort of problem is that they sort of they miss the storytelling opportunities that is not necessarily a hang up in other historical dramas where like all the sword and sandal films are trying to be the same kind of movie but they're just being crappier versions of the same movie like this is just kind of like a crappier gladiator or a crappier 300 and a crappier lord of the rings where you know, other movies kind of don't feel bound by that in the same way that i'm thinking of, of a movie like master and commander mm-hmm. or um or any sort of like regency period kind of story where like there's all these different kinds of stories we could be telling in a very sort of interesting and dynamic historical setting such as northern britain where like eli was saying there are military presence there's people brought from all over the world here from riz ahmed's character is supposed to be i think from pakistan and the macros the noel clark character is from numidia and there's greeks and italians and maybe sort of romano british and and all these people and they're kind of trying to make life together and everything there's there's politics and war and you know it's that's like a great sort of recipe and you could tell lots of different kinds of stories but we just keep coming back to a bunch of guys standing in a line going hold the line (laughs) while they wait for big rolling balls of fire to come at them which again i also rip off of spartacus (laughs) well and like that's that's just it is you have such a you know, this is like giving the movie a lot more credit than it deserves in any way. But like I used to hang out with guys at a fraternity and like one on one individually all can be very interesting and everything. But going through this practice of being a group and having group identity erases that. And some of the worst decisions that a person can make happen in that environment. And that's also what the military does. And so that is what this movie feels like is like, oh, yeah, like as a drama, we have really interesting characters that we could tell so many cool stories with. But at the end of the day, they're in an army. That identity is erased intentionally so that you will go make the decision to rescue a captured general instead of saving the few people of you still alive. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. See, I think you just hit on the 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 what this movie could have been, which is the right. We exist in a sort of system that erases identity, right? Being part of an armed, like a professional army, such as in Rome, or say a modern military or something like that, like very much like sort of strips individuality away from one in the you know to the end of creating a kind of you know a soldier. And so after this battle, the battle is in fact a a moment of opportunity or sort of a chance to. You know, where now that we have sort of been released from the binding sort of stricture that is the Ninth Legion, then, well, we can sort of start being people, right? And then we can get like, oh, well, you know, I'm a, I I was born here and I do this and I came here and, well, like maybe this is an opportunity, like maybe we can escape um, or like find a new opportunity, strike out, you know, free ourselves, you know, and, and, and find something else. I don't know marry a local witch whatever it is you want to do <laughs> i think we are 100 percent giving this movie too much credit but i agree that that is such a cooler like thematic landscape to set this in of these mm-hmm. people sort of caught between so many really heavy politics and crazy violence on like this very rough landscape. I feel like they have a lot of very dramatic like snow and like all of the water. Those, and those the Lord cliffs. of the Rings tracking shots Naturally, over the mountains. Always, mm-hmm. yes. And it's, I don't know, again, maybe giving like way too much credit, but it's that opportunity of like showing the humanity of people from various places to like come together or to make something new, having been a part of such like a, destructive events and it didn't take anything <laughs> even where like a movie like gladiator which is like this movie is 100 percent emulating and, and you can see interviews with neil marsher and he says gladiator reinvigorated the sword and sandal genre and we're doing this but we're trying to do our own thing but like they're not there's like they the movie introduces a lot of interesting things but it only just pays lip service to them but in a way where gladiator actually did better by that were a character like Proximo and part of it's because you've got a guy like Oliver Reed playing sure. Proximo, yeah. you know, or um, Jaiman 
Ansu, you know, where you get these kinds of, and it's, it's, it's done very economically, but at least in Gladiator, you sort of get the sense of a, a depth to this character and what they're, yeah, Proxima's relationship to Gladiator dumb, you know, and like this, this, this system that he was a part of and then has since bought into and his sort of, he probably has complicated feelings about Rome and gladiators and, or maybe he, he, you know, he just wants to um, buy drafts and have drafts mate. (laughs) But, but this movie, like all all that is just like lip service. Like it just paid, just like you have like a very sort of perfunctory scene where all the guys sit around the campfire sort of like, oh, brother, where art thou? Not oh, brother, where art thou? Sorry. Uh, Saving Private Ryan mm-hmm. style, mm-hmm. you know, and being like, this is my backstory, mm-hmm. which is also a clue. So it's like, here's my backstory. I'm going to die in the next scene. Right. So now you care. Because the other thing, we also, we don't meet any of these characters until after the battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For most of them. Yeah. Which I think would have been really helpful to like see, like sort of follow a few yeah. different people and like, and their different areas and the different things that happened to them in mm-hmm. normal yeah. life and then like disruption and then post-disruption like yeah. a normal narrative like an actual yeah. story <laughs> well we we don't ever see Riz Ahmed actually being a cook we see him uh a tomahawking a, yeah we see him tomahawk a cleaver into a guy's head and he's like i used to be a cook <laughs> and then mushrooms and he's like this is and the deer the whole deer scene mm, i had a question okay so i actually do want to talk about this deer scene so there's a point where they're on the run and they're looking for food and they kill a deer. And the Riz Ahmed's character basically takes out the stomach and he says, oh, here, eat the digested grass in the deer's stomach. To which I was thinking, like, if you have a freshly killed deer, why not eat the deer? Why do you got to eat the deer's? I mean, is that a thing? they're drinking the blood, know? too, like, for liquid yeah, which and I get. warm. Yeah. That, that's a thing. To be fair, in the later scene, it was like, a second, why didn't you bury it or put it in a tree or something that wasn't going to be obvious to your tracker but it looked like the hind leg had been ripped out so it's like okay at least they took something to prepare yeah my go ahead oh no 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 you go for it i'm just gonna say along with that andy pointed this out to me because at one point when they're on the mountain and then they're wrapped in blankets and then you're like wait where'd the blankets come from but then you see them walking with the deer and they have their rolled up blankets like yoga mats (laughs) and then at some point they're all in furs yes and there's a missing scene where they like they they, like raid a laundry line there has to be because there's so many wardrobe changes there's like there has to be like another two hours to this movie or something yes things are happening we don't see it no my my assumption about the whole deer thing was that they were trying to just eat and go kind of a thing and that like eating raw meat is not super good for humans. We don't usually do that, although it's possible. But like they could have hacked some parts of it off and like probably should have to take it with you. I think that's what they did. It looks like I they, think they the, did. Yeah. Yeah. The hind leg the, was gone. The when you got that shot of Etain finding it. Yeah. But like, like really? but I guess also if you're going to try to cook it, like that would mean a fire, which mean like you could be spotted. I don't know. I was trying to be, I was trying to think for them. Wind back another, just to to the the first premise was like, actually, can you eat the digested grass in a deer's stomach? We're asking the real hard questions here. It was moss to be fair. Yes. I guess you can eat moss, right? And does it, is it the the idea is that it, the the deer has started to digest the moss, which makes it better for us to digest? Is that the idea? I think it makes it easier for us to digest and easier for us to absorb nutrients because deer are like their digestive systems are more used to breaking down things that don't have a lot of nutrients yeah because that's the thing like we can't just like eat grass like we get no nutritional value from just eating grass that which is why a cow has to like eat it four times right yes because a cow is like designed to eat grass but like eating grass takes a bit of work and why my cat throws it up every time she tries so exactly i mean it's better than when it comes out the other end and then you got to like take the grass floss out of their butthole (laughs) (laughs) oh my god my my old my dog used to do that all that it would be like every now and then you got to like pull out like a string of grass out of his ass I'm probably going to cut this. <laughs> I was just dying over here. I know. I'm sorry. We're getting up before we dwell. Do we have anything more to say about the deer carcass? <laughs> like, good shot. Uh, I like the use of a sling to hit it. Very uh, mm-hmm. David and yeah. Goliath sort of a moment there. And yeah. yeah, that's all I got. 
Oh, here's a fun fact, as I just noticed as I'm looking at the cast list. So the actor, Dimitri Leonidas, plays the character Leonidas. Nice. Yeah, it's <laughs> Yeah. That's it's awesome. kind of cool. Gets, gets to play himself. Good for him. It's kind of a rougher deal for uh, Gorlikin Thompson, who had to play the character of Gorlikin. <laughs> Sorry. So, <laughs> Sorry. so this feels like a good time to transition to how racist this movie got and slightly with their horror movie trope with are we talking about macros? Yeah. Okay. I, uh, I wanted so much more from this. I was so excited Ooh. when we were like, yeah. oh, cool. Like, there is a black soldier. That's awesome. And then I was like, why? Why his, even? His characteristic is that he's good at running. Yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> he's good at running. And he dies, like, first, basically, right? He's one of the first to die. No, because uh, they ju- jump into the river. So you have so the Riz one Am- guy break his Riz leg. Ahmed. Riz Ahmed dies get... first. Yeah. yeah. Which also, this movie did not know that it was sleeping on a star in Riz Ahmed. Right? Um, I wanted so much more of him. I was so excited. <laughs> when the, the opening credits were rolling and I saw Riz Ahmed's name pop up, like, holy shit, Riz Ahmed's in this movie? Yeah. But no, I was, I wanted like so much from each of, I guess, the the band of brothers that sort of happens like they could have each had a wonderful character arc and they just show up are a stereotype and die yep yeah and it was also like we own i feel like the only thing missing was one of them needed to take out a picture of his girlfriend yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) and be like this is peggy sue and i'm gonna marry her lock of her hair or something yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I, I would really love it actually if they had like a little like the mosaic like the woman with the stylus atura yes! fits like, <laughs> like the pompeii mosaic and he's yes. like this is my girlfriend sulpicia <laughs> we're gonna marry when i get home from this tour <laughs> i think that would have been a really cool little plug <laughs> which is like so after the camp and now now it's like a free-for-all back to the wall and I, I do love like there's the moments of like the guy has broken his leg and you are being chased down and like I I'm sure I'd be terrible at ethics but I'd be saying, like I hear in the like we read the subtitles like just leave them I'm like yeah that's probably what I'd be like <laughs> okay um, n- note to self I'm never going hiking with Christy <laughs> not when we're being chased like. Okay, I was so terrible racist move, but like the guy who's like, I can't keep up with you, man, and help me, and and he's like, slice, that'd be my move. <laughs> I cannot outrun people. <laughs> hey, Although, uh, had they had they been smart, because they saw Tarek with the arrows in his back floating down the river, but they'd also just seen the wolf is get the body, put it on the shore, and the wolves will be busy for a while. Again, I'm never going hiking with you, Krista. <laughs> I will survive. I don't know. She will. I'd though. say this about zombies. It's like, I would not survive a zombie apocalypse. Like, I say I'm ruthless. I am not. But, like. The real pro gamer move in that situation is to not survive. Exactly. The... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I forget who it was that coined this, but, like, their strategy for surviving the apocalypse is don't. Yeah. Yep. Die in the blast. Die in the blast. Uh-huh. Sounds sounds good to me. <laughs> this is the point where I wish they would have gone with what the description seemed to say and like go full horror. Like you're already black and white. Just make it all dark and just be like people being grabbed suddenly from behind and disappearing to screams. I don't need the CGI blood anymore. Yeah. Just make it scary. Well, yeah. We could have gone full like the terror That's and what like I there was would actually say. Be, exactly. There should be a monster. There should be a monster. I think like that a, that... attain is a werewolf. That would yeah. be so fucking cool. There was also a, a sort of intertextual moment because Neil Marshall's other movie is Dog Soldiers, which is a story about a bunch of British soldiers that get attacked by werewolves. Starring in Scotland. Um, what's his name? Who plays Lucius Verinus in Rome? What Kevin McKidd. Kevin McKidd. There we go. Speaking of stars, we haven't really talked yet about Fassbender himself. I didn't care. I didn't care at all. He has pretty eyes. Uh. He's a very b- beautiful man. Yeah. He's a very beautiful man. It's one of those I... names that I've heard so much about, and I'm, but I'm like, I associate with action. I guess this is what it, it like. This was just all the worst aspects of action of like this was made by white men or white men. That's all I can really say about it. Because even when you have attractive people in it, I do not want them kissing at the end. I am offended. It sucks. <laughs> I feel like Michael Fassbender's career has done like a huge roller coaster. 
right? Like he's in some seriously terrible films, but he's also in like what snowman, like the snowman, like um, <laughs> what, like Assassin's Creed, the movie that they yep. made. That was terrible. Mm-hmm. Before we were started recording, we were talking about the Uncharted, and I have a whole. Maybe I will do it in this one. Maybe we'll talk about it later. But I have a whole thing about video game movie adaptations and why they historically never seem to work until Henry Cavill showed up for The Witcher, and you're like, yes. Actually, that is pretty good. Actually, yeah. the one exception really is Castlevania, which yes. I, I think avoids. The, it is a problem of misunderstanding genre. Yes, but yes. that is a that is a conversation for another time. But this is a kind of an interesting point in Fassbender's career. So his, so if we rewind to what 2007, his breakout role in mainstream movies is 300, where he's got I forget the character's name, but he's the the Spartan soldier mm-hmm. who kind of pops. Yep. And I think a lot of people saw 300 and were like, this guy has star power. And so he was in a few other movies, like he was in Shame. He like did some indie films, but then he was in this movie. And concurrently, the one the movie that really puts him on the map. It's funny because this movie. I feel like does nothing and if anything, maybe even potentially could have hurt his career. But immediately before this, he filmed a movie called Inglorious Bastards, ah. mm-hmm. which premiered right after. So this yep. was filmed in 2009, came out in 2000. It was filmed in February 2009 in Northern England and then premiered April the following year. And Inglorious Bastards was filmed basically like October 2008. So like Five or so, five or six months before this, he had filmed. He filmed this movie. He filmed *Inglorious Bastards*. That comes out in 2009. That comes out basically just before this. But *Inglorious Bastards*, I think, is that was his role that really was like definitely. And then after that, he's Magneto in the X-Men films, mm-hmm. and that's what I remember him from, like yeah. most visually. Or like *12 Years a Slave*. Yep, he was in *12 Years a Slave*. Yeah. Uh, I had his IMDb pulled up a second ago, but then yeah, then he's kind of a huge star. Um, currently, I know that he he currently lives in Lisbon, Portugal, and he's uh, married to Alicia Vikander, and they just had a kid. Is he really? Um, yep. Did they really? They oh my pri- god, I didn't know. They it. married in a private ceremony in 2017. Oh my god. Hashtag jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who in the world could possibly marry Alicia Vikander? Because she's perfect. But fine, I guess it could be Michael Fassbender. That's gonna they be had a, a baby born 2001. Beautiful. Name and gender are unknown. Wow. Did you say in 2001 or 2021? Sorry, 2020. I was going to say, because no. like, that kid is now... <laughs> a person, a person <laughs> born in 2001. It's drinking age. So. <laughs> but their name and gender remains unknown. <laughs> they're, just, <laughs> they're just an enigma. They're like the, the unlocked character screen. <laughs> uh. Well, I just... I generally like... Michael Fassbender in movies that I have seen him in. I really enjoyed him as Magneto, actually. I thought he mm-hmm. he was an excellent young Magneto. X-Men movies do a like a Faustian deal, like for every good one, there's a bad one. Yes. I mean, and they yes. really It's like the DC franchise too. Yeah. Well, DC franchises for every good one you get five bad ones. <laughs> Shots fired. To be fair, um... we got one good Suicide Squad and one god awful Suicide Squad. So like We got one good Wonder Woman, one bad Wonder See? Woman. It's just a matter of putting them in their proper <laughs> DC category. And then we got Aquaman, which is simultaneously a good and bad movie. I would um... just watch uh uh Mimosa. I would just watch him be a tour guide in Italy. That man, when he's in Did Palermo. Did you call him Jason Mimosa? Jason, no, rewind. Jason <laughs> Mimosa. I want a Mimosa. There you go. Jason, Jason Mimosa. Which is, I want to Google Jason Mimosa and see what <laughs> comes up. You know it's a drink. You know it is. Oh, perfect. Okay. This is what I was hoping for. Somebody photoshopped like a a champagne glass, but they put Jason Mimosa's arms and head <laughs> on it. And it's Jason Mimosa. It's like, you know it's a drink and it's probably got coconut in it somehow. So, yes. Yeah, it'd be pretty good actually. Mm-hmm. Like a pineapple, coconut, sparkly yeah. drink. I can see that working. You know where my mind is now. Anyway, between drink, a delicious drink, and a delicious man, all in one. Um, He's just a real snack. Yes, yes, he is. (laughs) And he could be my tour guide through Italy going buongiorno to, like, anyone, because that is of the... Wait, is that a thing he does? Yes! There's literally a fight going around, and they're in Palermo, and things are, like, breaking up, but he very kindly says to an old lady, he's like, oh, buongiorno. I don't remember that. It's the best part of the movie. It's the only thing worthwhile. Oh, this was in Aquaman, not in real life. I thought this was. I thought you were talking about real life. I want it to be like he can be the next Rick Steves, and I would be so happy. 
Just send oh, that. That would actually traveling. be great. I would watch that show. My favorite yeah. is there's a you can look up pictures of Jason Momoa's bodyguards where there's like there's somebody's like I feel as useless as Jason Momoa's bodyguards where it's like Jason Momoa <laughs> and he's surrounded by like three other guys who are like he's like a foot and a half taller than him and probably has fifty pounds of muscle on. <laughs> How did we get here? I don't know. We're talking about Fossbender and Fossbender's career. <laughs> and this is like the weird little blip on his career. I mean, I feel like there's some other blips, but Yeah. He, like uh, the know. snowman. So, okay. But the one thing I will give, like, they very clearly demarcated as, like, who's Roman? Even though Fassbender's speaking some picked, it's fine. And, like, and they say picked and they use woad correctly. So it's, mm-hmm. like, I give you the one up over King Arthur on that is you managed to make it very clear what are the sides, why are people on opposing sides, and what are the feelings towards each other. Yep. And what exactly is Wode? <laughs> yeah. <it's> like, <laughs> Although that whole explanation about like Wode means like they're ride or die, I yeah. felt a little like, uh-huh. I actually don't know that much about the history of Wode paint. Well, and, and I think it's still works. really contemplated because aren't our only records of it from the edict perspective anyway? Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I just feel exhausted by this entire movie. And I, I truly don't even know where to go from here, you guys. I was just going to say, this one, like, again, this is such a bro movie. I watched 300, and I know it's a bro movie, but I can kind of get on board with it. And this is just goes beyond that in a way I absolutely hate in that, like, we were talking about Etain being, first of all, she's she makes for an excellent warrior because she's silent. And so is the other picked woman for the most part. Yeah. And and she's intentionally so. And then Lash pointed out that she never really catches anyone, but the men are always terrified of being caught by her. She's like, is she even human? And it just reminds me of like how men view nagging women that are like always on them, but then nothing ever comes of it for the most part. And I don't know. I read so much into this that is just misogynistic in a lot of ways and again that kiss at the end compared to when we the last movie we talked about was mummy and that kiss between the two of them at the end is the most adorable thing i've ever seen yeah wait i think there is a a good not good but there is a very clear definition that that you have sort of drawn between like the good woman and the bad woman in this movie and I think you're totally right. Is that yeah, the good woman is the even though she they call her the witch or whatever, she like rescues strangers that she's never met. She doesn't poison or kill them. In she's Colin's, nurturing. Yeah, Colin's headcanon, she hooks up with Michael Fassbender. <laughs> and yeah, she's nurturing. And she she's helpful. She fishes. <laughs> Which also he he peed on that fish. No, yeah, no, it's not okay. In in our third urinating scene, I think this movie is I gotta say like in the way that like Freud thinks that young boys are like obsessed with playing with their willies. I think this movie is kind of like that. It's like it has a puerile fascination yes. with phalluses. Yes. Well, yeah. and you know uh, the the whole thing that she the the one good person ends up being called a witch slash a neck necromancer a lot. It's kind of funny because if you take it back to Roman literature, or more importantly, like what made for a good witch came coming mostly from Greek literature are women who are powerful but use that power for the benefit of men. Yep. And mm-hmm. then they're bad when they turn on their men, like Medea. And it's yep. specifically like a healing kind of power. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Slash she sleeps yeah. with him. Yes. There's also this trope that Ariane kind of has that also drives me nuts where she's like, look what they did to me. I'm hideous. And she's got like a scar, a light mm-hmm. scar across her cheek. In this, it was like, I think the worst offender is in Ready Player One where he meets the, the girl lover and she, she's like, I'm horribly hideous. And she has like a birthmark. Okay. My other favorite slash ridiculous moment is like Etain has showed up at the house. And she's checking the house to see if, like, the men are there. And Mm -hmm. you see Ariane, like, panicking because there's a cloth of blood just sitting out. And, oh, my gosh, she has to hurriedly sneak and hide it because I guess Atane's sense of smell is so good because she lost her tongue that she can discern whose blood (laughs) it belongs to. Earlier in the movie posited that, like, she could – they were, like, hiding in the bushes and she, like, comes back and finds them. Like, oh, shit, we're downwind of her. She can smell us, like, across this whole valley. But that's, like, because you stink, not because of blood. (laughs) (laughs) 
and I was just like, if if I was a woman trying to explain a bloody cloth to another woman, I would just be like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Call it no, a day. That's, yeah, that's not that's not a question. And but I think this is also like the if if Atain has like magic powers or whatever, they are about like hunting and killing and things that are maybe that women shouldn't do according to this movie, while the the good woman has like different types of of magic. Mm-hmm. We could argue about, you know, the, the difference between vengeance and justice or whatever, but we could probably all agree that Attain, I think, is justified oh, yeah. in her 100%. desire to seek vengeance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Her killing the general is like, that's fine. Oh, I love that. I yeah. was like... Yeah. I mean, also, yeah. maybe it was just because of Dominic West and Dominic Re- West very much sort of plays creep mm-hmm. to me, just like he reads as creep. And he does <laughs> kind of read as creep in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And again, because in 300, he's playing a super creep. Yeah. But yeah, like, this is the thing that this movie is sort of confused on, where there's all these, there's all of these, like, narratives, or not narratives, there's all of these voiceovers from Fassbender, or, or mm-hmm. like, these, like, you know, waxing poetic on, like, duty and honor mm-hmm. and Romanness or whatever. But the Romans are almost, like, the Romans are really the real villains in this movie, but, like... And at the end, they are the villains because they just, you know, it's the system. It's this weird, I don't even, I'm having a hard time articulating this thought, but it's this weird, like, I think it's particular in, I mean, it it hasn't necessarily gone away, but it's particular really in like the mid to late aughts of like acknowledging that the institution or like the military industrial complex or whatever it is, is bad, but like we're a part of it. And there's like, I'm getting really confused in how I'm sort of trying to articulate this, but it's like the, the the sort of Romans are bad, but the picks are also bad and they're just different kinds of bad. But I, the rugged individual, am going to find my own chart, my own middle path, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which leads to which uh, image in pool's house. I guess. <laughs> but I mean, isn't that kind of the problem we have right now is that you're, People who don't like Biden or people who didn't like Trump is like you don't feel like you want to be patriotic, but you can't be patriotic to the institution. Mm-hmm. And but then you also have enemies outside of that. So like depending on any given situation, you are pro or con and who is a good guy at that? Like, I'm just confusing myself now. But like, well, no, that's I, kind I of think- what this feels like. Yeah, it's like the, the entire idea of rugged individualism, I mm-hmm. think, is such such that old school like old good boy american like that started in like the you know frontier and i think was it herbert hoover who like used it in a speech Mm -hmm. and it has you know this sort of idea of that the individual as separate from the institution when the institution is terrible and i think on the one hand that's admirable and that's sort of breaking away from this huge collective identity as like soldier right Mm -hmm. but the rugged individual i think should not mean like that we don't care about the humanity of the people that were like what slicing their legs and leaving them for the wolves yeah (laughs) this is like the contradiction in this kind of character in this kind of movie where again in a way we're like a lot of these sword and sandals and similar movies but it happens a lot in these kinds of sword and sandal movies where i mean like it's simultaneously like the hero has all of these admirable qualities like patriotism and duty honor all that thing but then also just like the thing that he's patriotic or dutiful to or whatever is sort of shitty and we saw this in king arthur Mm -hmm. where arthur is kind of a great man and he you know goes on about you know duty honor patriotism christian virtues all whatever you know uh pelagianism uh and then in that movie he kind of realized he sort of realizes that like the rome he knows and loves doesn't really exist it's more of an idea than you know and it, this this is the, this is the contradiction i think of like this like and i think this is a thing that is prevalent in a lot of just contemporary politics but there's like the idea of the thing that we are sort of loyal or patriotic or nationalistic or whatever it is too and the, the the reality which is it's very much divorced from and it's like this weird thing where we can't even really reconcile the two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if that made sense. No, it, it or did. Because like, it's, mm-hmm. it's the, uh, like, why, again, King Arthur's ending, wor- like, it works. And, like, we feel okay about it is because at the end, it's like he recognized that all of the qualities that are admirable in him are, you know, not 
for the benefit of Rome, but it can be for the benefit of the community that you build. Yes, yes. And this mm -hmm. does not have that. There is no, we get no resolution for the picked community mm -mm. whatsoever. And we get Fassbender being like, well, this sucks. I'm going and doing whatever I want now. I'm going mm -hmm. and isolating myself in the forest Yeah, and building my arsenal. Yeah. No, exactly. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. Yeah. And I with, would my, like... with my hot survivalist wife. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to bring up a movie that I don't think we've really compared this as much to as I thought we would, which is The Eagle. Um, we did a I little bit. Right. You guys have to talk about it because I haven't seen that, well, even though I, I think love a lot of the things we're saying about this movie equally apply to the eagle. I agree. Just where this yeah. movie is mostly British in its conception and execution. It's almost, it's all British, yeah. like British production company. Well, they're a French production company, but Leo, if you touch my black, my, uh, my cat's throwing a tantrum. Sorry. Mm -hmm. But I, I was going to say everything that we were sort of talking about with this movie, I think also applies to the eagle or just that this movie is British through and through British yeah. director, mostly British uh, production companies, British cast, I guess Fassbender is Irish, but, and whereas the eagle is, American, right? And and I think there's a bit where you know the eagle. There's a there's a much large there's a heavier sort of analogy between, I guess the picks or right. whoever you know the they don't call them picks in that movie, mm -hmm. but whoever they are, the seal tribe, I think, and they're like very analogous to like Native Americans. So it, like it reads the the Romans in the eagle read as very American imperialist, whereas centurion is very british in its sort of conception yeah. ideology and execution and it just really feels like the way british boys having been brought up of stories of roman legions and you know and then just yeah. kind of putting that to, to screen well i think also in the eagle there was like another sort of level of removal because like the seal tribe wasn't even mm -hmm. the like people who had the most contact with the Romans. Like there were Britons who yeah. like were, I guess, Romanized for lack of a better mm -hmm. word, even though I don't really like the word. And then there was the seal tribe and they were like this huge gulf existed in between their cultures yeah, as depicted in the movie. But I think like the Eagle Centurion also doesn't have any of its characters learn anything. Right. It's like, in a very American way, the eagle is like, <laughs> no, all of our assumptions are correct. And even if you, you know, they, what, they left Ninth Legion and they sort of became just people who lived north of the wall. Like, nope, we're still going to show up with you to fight in this riverbed and all die. <laughs> like, and I, similar to this is like, nobody learns anything. Nobody has that moment that Arthur has in King Arthur of like, oh, maybe my assumptions are wrong or like maybe i need to think about something in a different way or maybe i can use my talents as the hero of this story to still do some good even though the institution that i am loyal to is horrific this is like my again one of my many great frustrations with a lot of sword and sandal films is they sort of like surfacely acknowledge the more problematic things about the way we think about ancient ancient Rome in particular, but like never really engages with it in a sort of meaningful way. Again, I think in a way that like, I keep coming back to this, but I think Last of the Mohicans actually, I think really does dive into like the forces, the imperialist forces that are at play in North America in the late 18th century that are going to like lay a lot of foundational bedrock for the subsequent centuries. And I just lost my sort of train of thought. Oh, oh I remember what I was going to say in a little bit of a pivot. The thing that, it, building off of sort of, when we talked to Amy Pistone last week about that, all movies are actually in this in a shared universe with one another. <laughs> and so I like to imagine that this movie is telling us that Dominic West is Channing Tatum's dad. <gasps> yes. That is the thesis. Oh my God, I love because it. The, uh, for Christian, those not familiar, you're like, the eagle is about Channing Tatum trying to get back the, the, the eagle standard after the Ninth Legion was destroyed and his dad was in command. And so like basically like Channing Tatum's dad in that movie nominally is Dominic West in this movie. Nice. <laughs> which is that's the re that's the uh that's the reading I'm gonna go with. And I will fight anyone who disagrees. They highlighted the eagle being part of the burning when they're uh, cremating the mm -hmm. sun, Garlicon. And um <laughs> It sounds like a <laughs> reject orc name. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Every time I say, like, do you think the actor got that character? He's like, I'm playing Gorlacon. <laughs> it's like, maybe it's French. Maybe it's Gorlason. 
Nope. No. I really want. I, I'm, I'm cool. trying to find if there actually is a attestation <laughs> about this name, Gorlicon. All the hits I'm coming up are from are about this movie. <laughs> I was gonna say there's like one other moment that again perhaps gives more credit to this movie than it ever deserves. But there was the moment when they're torturing Fassbender and they show Gorlicon <laughs> with his son. Like let's just cut his chest. And like you see the son turn away and then but then he does that and you see him being slowly uh-huh. socialized in what this reality is and then you know presented with the opportunity to survive against a Roman soldier he ends up dying which is really tra- like it's a whole tragic line right there just with the son that like yeah could have been its own film too like can we do the pics and like from their perspective of like all right there's all these romans okay they're building a wall and sending people into our land to do all these terrible things to us basically and what like that was kind of the interesting story of gorlicon is like i was a farmer and then all these terrible things happened and i had to take up the sword to protect my people yeah which again feels like the movie we would expect like that is braveheart right yeah, like gorlicon right. in another universe is Mel Gibson in Braveheart. Absolutely. Except in this movie, he's the... Yeah. But again, just like in a way that this... Like the movie introduces ideas that sort of arouse complications or maybe we should rethink about the way we think about it. But then it's just like, nah, let's just like see some Romans fight some barbarians. And like, again, like how many more piss jokes can we get in here? Yeah. No, I I don't know. I feel like we've come full circle, you guys. (laughs) Yeah. My my last thing that I liked, I think the only thing that I liked was that moment when they're at the campfire and Fastbender asks, "Like you get like you guys all seem to like the general," and they he gives that like grand speech. I forget what it was, and then the joke is like, "Yeah, it's written on the the wall of the shitter," and I'm pretty yeah. sure he wrote it himself. <laughs> I liked that because it it did feel very like exactly what you would see amongst the like army camp of of the joking and camaraderie. Mm-hmm. It's like yep. every once in a while, there were those moments that are like, it could have been this something. Could have been. This could have been. could have been yeah. something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get some woman writers in there. They'll help you out. Exactly. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of something, a thing that I liked about this movie. That's all I got. That yeah, moment. I'm, that was about I'm, it. I'm tapped. Tapped out. I, I liked the band of brothers. I wanted it to be better than it was there's a minor point but a thing i noticed was that at one point where we're when fassbender and davos get to that sort of burnt out roman fort and there's like a like a note posted on the wall yes. and it really does look like roman or like it latin does. sort of cursive script yeah. and i was trying to read it and i was actually i was like i paused it and i tried to read it and so like there were some recognizable words yeah but it like it does that does look very much like a a much sort of cleaner version of like a tablet you would find at like Vindolanda or something Absolutely. like that, where we have actually yeah. like these wooden tablets with Roman. I mean, also I was going to say Latin cursive script is a nightmare to read. Nightmare. Oh my God. Because they ostensibly have the same alphabet as us, but not when they were writing on these little wax tablets, <laughs> they are, they are using a totally different alphabet. No. And people who can actually read that and who like do all the scans so that we can read that i i love them and i want to give them a huge hug because it's <laughs> so hard it's like i mean it's literally it's like trying to reconstruct a letter that was scrawled into the back of a clipboard through the paper that's like literally what yep. happens because like they're taking yep. the stylus and they they would they had a board with wax on it and the stylus writes in the wax and then you occasionally leave scratches in the back of the board as you push the stylus through Damn. and from the scratches you can we're able to reconstruct like in some cases like whole letters or even multiple letters that have been written like on top of each other which is yeah which is insane yeah yeah most of the time you get like part of a word or like part of a name but occasionally you get some like there's some good stuff in there um but a lot of it's also like i'm ordering like 50 barrels of beer and my favorite is like i ran out of socks could you please send me some more socks (laughs) (laughs) mom mom please (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. the humanity that we are missing from this movie (laughs) Mm -hmm. i will say what i love about this movie it's the first one in a while that we all got to absolutely hate on together which is great true love that for us I think it's time to put this movie to bed, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. can we bury it deep, it should have deep ended underground? underground? 
if I was an archaeologist at, say, Vindolanda, and I discovered a journal containing Quintus Dias's uh, voiceover from this movie, I would uh, destroy it. And I would not let the world... I know it would be valuable historical and archaeological evidence, but I had to read, like, life as a soldier is hard, and you have to make decisions between honor and duty. I'd be like... And I would just... I would When no one was looking, I would toss that in the garbage. <laughs> Which is just my roundabout way of saying uh, this movie abuses voiceover mm. <laughs> to a criminal degree. Yeah, it's not good. All right. So thank you again for listening. This has been another episode of Movies We Dig. If you like what you're hearing, you can, of course, follow us on at digmovies at Twitter. Find us on moviesweedig.com. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and Spotify and anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, of course, please follow, like, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And we'll be back next week with a very special guest to talk about not a movie, but video games. Who wants, who wants to play video games? Uh, yeah, we'll be talking about Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which I'm really looking forward to. And I'm going to go boot up my old save file right now. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thank you again for listening and have a good one. Bye. Bye.